0: Real estate market, like you don't say, oh, what's the national weather average? You know, that's not going to help you dress for your own backyard. If you're in Maine or Florida or Texas or, you know, Dakota in the winter time, there's going to be different temperatures and different fundamentals. So you do your homework and because real estate is localized. um, And so you want to go off of those fundamentals and... Are you ready to transform your life? This is a no nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational wealth, even while working full time. Get ready to take notes. Here's your host,
1: Socket Jane. Welcome back, my Great to Wealth listeners. Today, I have the pleasure to bring to you Jim Shields. Jim's a great guy. I've been following this company, Southern Impression Homes, for a while now. And I'm a big fan of what they do. They're built-to-rent providers. They're not necessarily a typical turnkey management where they'll take an older property, rehab, and then turn around, sell it, and manage for you. Instead, what they do is they build it from scratch. It's new. And for anyone who knows that, we'll talk about that. For anyone who doesn't know that what that advantage with that is really... It helps reduce the maintenance cost, at least in the upfront years, right? And it becomes truly, truly, truly passive, except you still need to manage some part of it. But it's not your maintenance headaches for anyone who has had properties, older properties. No matter how much lipstick you can put on the pig, it's still a pig. So you'll realize that there's a lot of maintenance and headaches that comes along with older rehab properties. Doesn't mean it's bad, it's just a different kind of product. So with that said, I want to introduce you to Jim Shields. Jim is with, he's a partner with Southern, Southern Impression Homes. Jim, thank you for being on the show, buddy. Socket, thanks for having me. So, Jim, before we open up the show on your, kind of your story, I always like to open up the show with, when you hear the term migrate to wealth, what does that really mean to you?
0: I think it means taking control of your financial position and bringing it from a point of where you don't want to be to the point of where you want to be.
1: Love that, man. Love that. Yeah, I think it's always is how do you build, how do you build a plan around Plan A to plan, point A to point B, point A being your current reality, point B being your future reality, whatever that is for you. So love that. Jim, help us paint. What did wealth mean to you when you got started? And then we'll kind of follow that journey.
0: Wealth meant to me being able to buy back my time and live on my terms and, uh, you know, not have someone else directing me, not being able to, the old, I can't afford it. I can't afford it. I didn't want that to be my limiting factor for doing the things I wanted to do for myself, for my family, for causes I cared about. So it was, it was really an expansion of all the things that I always wanted as a child, but never could get because our family didn't have
1: the means and I didn't want to
0: give those things up. So for me, it was really living out my childhood as an adult, all the things I dreamed of doing, but I could never do.
1: Yeah, so, and then then have you always been in real estate, Jim?
0: Real estate was always my way. I started, I became a full-time real estate investor, at 24 years ago. So I was at a pretty young age, early 20s, and I had done a lot of research. I had that entrepreneurial flair, um, looked at different businesses, but I kept coming back to real estate. There was an interesting quote, which I've actually been sent many a times to be shown wrong. I was shown a quote that there were 7 out of 10 millionaires at that time in the U.S. came through real estate. So now I've been getting quotes that it's 9 out of 10. Which yeah. seemed quite odd, but I like the tangibility of, of real estate. It made sense to me. I liked the, the case studies of people that have been investing for the long term. I like the statistical numbers. I like seeing someone like my parents who never had a lot of money, but I was like, wow, they bought a house for 49,000 and then they sold it, you know, two and a half decades later for 600,000. There's something to it. Uh, And so, yeah, real estate was my choice right away after one grueling year in corporate America. And I said, I'm going to starve myself. I'm young. I don't have a family yet. And uh, so real estate was my path.
1: So, Jim, let's go back to that time. If you, you said about 24 years ago you started that journey? 24 years ago, yeah. 24 years ago. So um, let's say you were in your early 20s, or maybe even sooner. Who knows when, when 24 years ago was for you. So we won't ask your age. So let's say you're in early 20s I'm right now.
0: 49 years old and I want to go to 118. That's my
1: goal. I like that, man. I recently put in I want to go to 170. I'm like, you know what? It's kind of funny you say that. We'll take a tangent and we'll come back. I recently joined strategic coach with Dan Sullivan. And one of the exercises we did oh, was, are, yeah, are you part Dan of that?
0: I have been for years. So uh, not right now, but I'm still friends with Dan and Babs and some of the leadership
1: team. Awesome, man. Awesome. Yeah. So they went to the exercise. So you've gone through that exercise of how uh, your, your life plan, right? And I'm like, you know what? I want to die till 85. But then if I have a new leash, I just want another 85 years. And uh, I want to relive the life differently. It's kind of funny you say that because I was having a conversation with my wife this morning about the same exact topic. But anyways, you're 49 right now, 24 years ago, you were about 25 years old, uh, 24, 25 years old, and you started to jump into real estate full time after a year in, a crappy year in corporate America, we'll just call that. You didn't use that term, I used. So a lot of 20, 25 years old, 24, 25 year olds that are listening to this, they probably have thought about jumping into real estate, but the biggest problem that they, the biggest mind block that they have is that they are not ready either financially or education-wise or or they be telling themselves a story they're not ready? How did you make that jump whether you, because I'm assuming from the story you're saying, it's not like you come with a lot of money. So you probably had none. lack of none. So you had limited resources. You had your time, your effort, your energy, but not necessarily financial resources, right? So how did you become a real estate investor without having access to money? Access to your own money, I should say.
0: Through reading and tape cassettes. Tape
1: cassettes. <laughs> so, wow, man.
0: So, yeah, I should tell you now I'm really aging myself, but I didn't. And eventually I saved $5,000 and went to my first real estate investing event. And, you know, people thought, oh, you're crazy. It's some scam. But I am a big component of paying for good education. And that was, a lot, it's still a lot of money, $5,000, but I saved it hard from the job that I had. And I went, but even before I went to that, First event, I listened for two years, probably to reading books, listening to cassette tapes of people that had been there and done that. And I took the lessons and as scared and as unprepared as I thought I was, I had been trained on what kind of numbers to look for. And I found my first deal in Central California in 1998, 1999. And so it was 1999. Yep, 1999.
1: Well, so just it's, around it's, the dot com burst. Wow.
0: Yeah. So it was, and, and I hit a home run on my first deal. Didn't hit a home run on all the next deals, but that right. first one, I followed simple principles, simple fundamentals. And what I found was the numbers are not that complicated for, for residential real estate investing. What's complicated is the fear. I'll never forget. You know, I, you know, it was standing in my living, the, the kitchen of my rental property that I was renting. I didn't own it. I was, I was renting and the realtor called Tammy. I remember the, I still remember her name. And she said, your offer was accepted. And I'm literally like, oh, hold on. I'm breathing heavy in the, you know, yeah. in, in the kitchen. Oh man, last year I made, you know, the year before last, I made $24,000. I just got accepted to buy a three family property for 152000 What wow. am I, this is like, I mean, that might money has well been $10 million. And so, but I felt the fear and I did it anyway. So I think a lot of the complication comes in our own fears, hesitations, I need more education, and, uh, and I didn't want to be those guys. And I looked, you know, 10 years fast forward from that moment, I saw a lot of guys that were way smarter than me that went to that first real estate class with me or were showing interest. And a decade later, they were still just about to pull the trigger on their first deal. And that really is such a debilitating habit to allow consume you. And that's where I see a lot of people. You, you need to get a basis of proficiency in education and pull the trigger. That, that, that's the best advice I can give to those young people because you can overanalyze to paralysis. We all know that saying. You know, or you can be like, yeah, I want to do real estate, and you get zero training, zero proficiency right. with whether a book or you know a, a CD series or a, or even an event. You know, if you do that again, I think that's you're you're going to save. Otherwise, you're just you're totally the people that have completely. Done. You know, and I knew that people said, oh, "I'm going to buy this real estate." And I said, "Well, what are the numbers?" I don't know. I just think it's going to go up over the next two years. Okay, let's you know, let's get some yeah. fundamentals. Let's get some maybe before we do that. So anyway, hopefully that's helpful
1: to the younger group. It, it definitely is, I man. I think it's a, it is a fine line. I always say between getting educated and getting overeducated. Um, because yeah. the, you know the best education is experience. However, the the cost of making a mistake is very big, so you don't want to jump in completely blind, completely based on gut. Even if the gut feeling is right, you want to cover your down uh, downside, right? And the only way to cover your downside in most of these cases is to know to know the knowns. You can't you can't know the unknowns. Nobody predicted COVID, and uh, nobody would falter anyone to predict to, to because they're they're working through COVID. It's just it's just you couldn't have predicted it. The interest rate rise to the extent it has, nobody could have predicted it. You can't even underwrite for that something like that unless you happen to find a fixed rate uh, debt. And we'll talk about that a little bit later as well. But I think it's just more important to understand and surround yourself with people who are willing to give you education, either for free or through partnership or at cost, whatever that is. But you have to understand it and you have to, but what what you said something was very important because I was going to ask you that question, what differentiated you from the other 10, 20 people that that you mentioned were smarter than you, that they are still probably learning somewhere in the world um, because they don't, they still don't think they're ready. And we all know people like that. So I'm assuming the answer to that question, I want to put, I don't want to put words in your mouth to so correct me if I'm wrong. It's really you chose to learn and then act versus they're still learning. They haven't made a decision to act. Yep. Is, that, is that the fair understanding?
0: Yeah. You have to have that, that, that combo of learning and taking action. And so many people will just say, No, I think I'm gonna learn more and learn more. And they're just, they're not being honest with themselves. So they're saying, I need to learn more because I'm too afraid to take action now. Yeah. And we all, you have to, it was a mentor of mine that said, Look, you're gonna feel the fear, but do it anyway. If you've yeah. done your basic numbers, numbers are speaking to you, the numbers don't lie. Yes, there could be other things go wrong, but you've done your homework. It's either fish or cut line. Feel right. the fear, do it anyway. And that was great advice for me. And a lot of people were like, oh, it's either going to bankrupt me or even the other, like people were like, oh, it's got to retire me. Your first duplex is not going to retire you. It's just, I mean, that's a very rare thing. But the good news is that first duplex, as long as you've done some basic proficiency and understand numbers and area, and you've done some of that homework, it's probably not going to bankrupt you either. Correct. You know, and, and right. that for, especially right. for the younger people, there has never been a bad time to buy real estate over a 10 year span. Never, yeah. never in the U.S. Even even go to 2007 when when you were, you know, buying at the absolute peak in most markets, like even where we built in Florida, buying at the peak. Yeah, there was some pain and, and some temporary turnaround and even rents dipped a little bit. But rents were back within, you know, four years or th- actually three years. And between four and five years, values were back up wow. after the 08 meltdown. So when you look at that, if you're looking over a 10-year span and you're a true long-term buy and hold, and I've I've earned my most money in my life, socket from holding property, not selling. Now I do both. I build properties for other people and myself, and I hold properties long-term. And my long-term holds, when a young investor will look at that long-term hold, you can get a large, large wind at your back. Yeah. And, uh, and you got to start to get that. But the advantage is you're young. Why not?
1: I completely agree. I think even my friends, I'm, I'm 47. They always say that, hey, should I buy it? I think the biggest answer, I think you kind of gave away the keys to the castle here, man, by thinking that you, you initially said somebody was looking at buying a property and they said in the next two years is going to go up. Nobody can predict that. Right, it's going to go up in two years or down in two years, nobody knows. But in 10, 20, 30 years, it is going to go up, right? That is for sure. Unless something drastic happens in the world, the dollar completely gets smashed and something changes uh, geopolitically. In the 10, 20, 30 years, we're looking at, when you're looking at such a long-term horizon, I think real estate is a good bet. But if you want to try and flip tomorrow, real estate may or may not be the good bet. So it all depends. Then Then you're just gambling at that point different level of correct, risk for sure. Correct. So Jim, let's let's move forward now. So you made a decision to become a full-time real estate investor, you found your books, cassettes, tapes, whatever you want to learn, you got your education. Let's fast forward to now, 24, 25 years later. What's that journey looking at right now for you?
0: Yeah, well, I am, you know, someone told me a, a really good real estate investor can say their niche in one sentence. And I, for years, you know, like my first one, I would buy, fix, and resell HUD foreclosures to first time homebuyers. That right. was my first niche. My second niche was I buy fixer uppers, fix them up, and either rent them or sell them. That was it. And now, today, my third evolvement is I build new construction investment property in high growth areas. That's my niche. And so that started about 10 years ago because I was doing bulk foreclosures. At the time, alongside as a as a business associate and friend, Chris, who you've met before, my partner yeah. at Southern Impression, him and his father had a great management company, I brought my personal portfolio over to them to manage and then we would throw some deals back and forth. And about 10 years ago, we were having you no know, problems trying to find the fixer uppers you know those fixer uppers were were far and few between too many people were trying to buy them the numbers weren't working so chris came to me and said hey what would you think about building our own properties instead of fixing up old rehabs i thought "Ha! i never thought about that that'd be the old dog learning a new trick i've been doing rehabs for 15 years this is kind of scary i gotta burn my ships Uh, but we lo and behold we threw in the development fees together to build that first (laughs) 22 properties Jacksonville, Florida, an area that we knew very well, yeah. and it went okay at best, but their socket started the idea of, wow, we could really get better properties in better areas with less headaches, better fundamentals for us and our investors, easier to manage, better growth potential with the new construction, and not only single family, but it was very hard if people really wanted to find duplexes and quads, you know, when, when you're trying to find an old fixer up or duplex or quads, your, your numbers are even less. What if we could create the inventory ourselves? You know, so that first year we built three million property and went okay. Fast forward to almost a decade later, we did 185 million in sales last year. You know, good for eight thousand. Good 000. for you. So our 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 focus socket right now is new construction in high growth areas, single family, duplex, and quads. We're working with nearly a thousand investors, and that grows weekly. You know, building successful portfolios for people that want to be involved in real estate but don't want to take on a second or third job or very happy yeah. in their you know, career or other business but they want some sort of exposure to real estate without headaches and that's why they come to us
1: so Jim let's before we go deeper into that let's let's actually talk what's happening at the macro level right depending sure. upon who you talk to at this point it doesn't go unnoticed that we're in the tumultuous time right nobody knows what's going to happen tomorrow right now especially yeah. given the interest rate especially given what's happening at the geopolitical level there's a lot of angst amongst the investors so the question that I get asked all the time, and I would love to hear your perspective, is, is it a good time to invest in real estate?
0: Historically, Sackett, and as you said, if something completely way outside the boundaries happens, you can't control that. But historically, yes, now is a good time to invest in real estate. And there's a couple of reasons why. First of all, and I've heard this from Russ and Robert, you know, there hasn't been a bad time to get in on a longer span. Has there been for a short amount of period? Sure. But mm-hmm. if you're looking Really, as an astute long-term investor, like eight to ten-year span, there's never been a bad time. Secondly, when it's winter time, Sackett, and you want to go vacation somewhere to get warm, what do you do? You check the weather report, and the weather report is not the same in Michigan as it is in Florida, right? During winter times, right? And and winter can be represented in any areas. You know, in 2008, when I was sucking wind on my California properties, my friend in upstate New York felt nothing. He said, I wouldn't even know there was a house crash. We kept going up 2 to 3% a year. Now, what's interesting with this past pandemic, which none of us, as you said, could have projected, you know, I've heard of a lot of areas really sucking wind. Florida right now is still doing very well. We have low inventory. Our affordability index is still very healthy. And also another thing people have to look for, not only inventory, but also pricing, you know, because if, if things have priced, you know, you can go to other markets that have the same monthly income as an average family but their pricing and housing is two to three times more than where we invest in florida and build our houses in florida that's a big thing and coupled with that second, right now with with issues out there you can go to areas where the markets are still showing very good stability there's still cash flow even if they're in high growth areas you know and new construction and also there's a big question you have to ask now can you collect rent there? This is one of the biggest things that people have to ask. Right. We have been right. showing over the last few years, you can collect rent in some states a lot easier than others. And whether I don't care where you are on the political fence, if you are a real estate investor, you want to be where you can collect rents easily. And you're also not overly scrutinized as a landlord, especially if you keep a good property. I have an old school value that you should be able to collect rent. Yeah, so, definitely. Um, you know, my my idea on this socket is do your homework. Real estate market, like you don't say, what's the national weather average? You know, that's not going to help you dress for your own backyard if you're in Maine or Florida or Texas or, you know... Dakota in the winter time there's going to be different temperatures and different fundamentals so you do your homework and cuz real estate is localized and so you want to go off of those fundamentals and can you collect rent is there still cash flow these are the things that I tell people to look for instead of looking at big scary you know news just know that the media here's something funny in 2005 which was absolutely the peak you know 2005 2006 the media was saying Get into real estate now, double-digit appreci- double appreciation, no end in sight. If you don't get in now, you'll never be able to afford to get in, right? Well, you fast forward three years to the 08 crash, you know, going into 09. What was that same media saying? Oh, man, real estate is dead. It's never coming right. back. Like, right. its it's gone forever. Look at these horror stories. And anybody who has some real estate knowledge knows 2009 was prime picking for great real estate deals. Right. So be very cautious the media they always seem to get it wrong they're telling you to run in when you shouldn't and they're also telling you that it's dead when it's not right now i'm seeing they're kind of calling oh it's dead and i'm going well hold on what area are you talking about have you done the fundamentals because and so these are the things you want to look for
1: so jim what areas are you guys in i know you're in jacksonville what other areas are you in
0: well let me start by telling you what areas we're not in you know because oh florida we're not in miami we're not in orlando we're not in tampa you know, most people say, well, isn't that all Florida is? Yeah. The answer is no. We're, we're, we're the third most populated state in the country behind Texas and California. And we build in second tier markets. These markets are, are, have a great affordability index, meaning the average price of a home is very affordable for the average household income. The population growth is doing well. The economic growth is going well. It's desirable to live there. There's some draw bringing people there. Also, there's healthy supply and demand. Mm-hmm. Meaning we want to, obviously, as builders building new construction investment property, go where the uh, municipalities, the local governments have released reports saying, hey, we do not have enough rental properties here.
1: We need more rental Jim, properties. I'm, I'm so sorry. So can, that's I, what... can I interrupt you really quick? Go ahead. Let's talk about the affordability index, because I think you've used that term a few yep. times now. Can you go deeper into that? So You said it's, it's a ratio of average price in the home divided by the average household income or the median's? So let's. This is this is a very important thing. So for
0: our new investors out there, this is is the thing that makes or breaks scenario for cash flow because you can have, you have a terrible affordability index like uh, San Francisco. I did a. I worked with a client just this morning who is selling a very expensive townhouse. To come to Florida and be able to buy three properties with his 1031 mm-hmm. exchange, right? But the in the affordability index there is awful. However, he's had a huge equity growth, huge. And that's one way to go about it. I don't like to go, I'll sacrifice some cash flow, but I also don't like to be bleeding. He was bleeding over $2,000 a month uh, on this property. So eating his own equity as he's letting it grow, which can be pretty risky. Affordability index, when it's healthy, allows you the most likely odds to have cash flow. And if the other fundamentals are there, also have growth because I want to have cash flow and the potential for growth. And I don't depend on appreciation, but I do my best to get in its way. And the affordability index is one of the main indicators. So the affordability index means the average price of a home. What is the average price of a home compared to the average salary for the area. So like for example, Jacksonville, Florida, the average household family income is right around $61,000. The median price of a home in Jacksonville from a couple different reports, about 299,000, just about the 300,000 marker. Okay. Now let me give you the opposite. Salt Lake City, beautiful area. I've had a lot of investors come over. Salt Lake City has a family household income of about the same amount, about $61,000, $62,000. However, their, their median price for their area for a home is not $299,000. It's $585,000. Think about that for a Got minute. it. Area, they have population there. They have economic and business there. It's desirable, but it's a need for housing. However, that type of pricing, their median price is about double, almost double what like we are in Jacksonville. Correct. And that's why a lot of people are coming because when we're looking for that safety score, you want to go where the average family income can afford that house. That's when things start to get out of whack and you can see equity go down.
1: But Jim, let me challenge that thing. I understand that and I love that thought. But if, let me challenge that for a second because I know how people are thinking about it that sure. don't you want to buy in places where people can't buy because that's when they would instead instead of uh, buying they, they will eventually rent because if everyone can buy it then why would people go in the rental home so give us that because I'm pretty sure there's a there's a fine balance between a 585 million price versus a 300k median price because we're ta- we're talking the affordability index being double almost right five to ten yeah. almost so so give us the intuition behind it. The instinct, if you're looking at it instinctively, how are we deriving that fact?
0: Well, two things. I have not seen, especially in the last 10 years, there has been a shift in mindset where owning a home by a large percentage of people now feel it's not only a financial liability, but a mental liability. Sure. Things have never changed So, we And so we are seeing more of a rental mindset contingency out there. And so I'm not worried about that. Along with that, we are trying to always put ourselves and our investors in a position for growth. When the affordability index is that healthy, right, where there's that good of an average income compared to the average price, that usually means that there's still more room for growth Mm. for appreciation.
1: Great. It's going to be a lot
0: harder, a lot easier for Jacksonville to appreciate because people there's a good affordability index than somewhere like Salt Lake where it's not good right now. Do you see where it seems like there could be a pressure upwards because it is so affordable? And in other areas, it could be a pressure downwards. Because if people start trying to sell and a lot of people aren't there to buy, that's where values can start to really come down. And we want to watch for that. That's why we're not in the Miami's and Tampa's. Great markets for population and desirability and economics, but the, the affordability index is out of whack. And that's a big safety score we look at for our investors and ourselves.
1: Got it, got it. So I think the intuition what we're saying is people living there can therefore buy at a healthy price. Right mm-hmm. now, if you look at Detroit, and I haven't looked at the Detroit market, the average income may be $61,000 there, similar to other areas that we talked about, but the price may be 100K, right? So are we saying that there's a magic affordability index uh, or a range for affordability index that is healthy? Jim. So here's, here's the
0: affordability index. It is one component of the five that I look for. Perfect. So you want to get off. Let's, let's look at Detroit or even some other, you know, Midwest cities. Cause when I left California to come to Florida, you know, 20 years ago or about 20 years ago, I looked all over for other areas. And if you get five factors together, you can get possibility for growth. Okay. Population growth is a big one. Is the area growing? So I remember during the foreclosure meltdown in Detroit, they were showing a depletion of population, almost going back to numbers from 80 years earlier. Yeah. I don't like that. That means that if the population is shrinking potentially or really stagnant, that could cause a huge problem for the demand for your house to actually be Mm -hmm. there, right? When we talk about supply and demand. So you have to look at all five factors, not just the affordability index. Again, it's population growth, economic growth. Are there jobs going in or are businesses leaving? The affordability index, uh, desirability. Again, I don't know that much about Detroit, but... Is it desirable? Are people saying, gosh, I really want to move there for the lifestyle and the safety? I don't think so. But again, mm-hmm. I'd have to look under the hood for that. And then healthy supply and demand. Like, are there more people than houses? I want to go mm-hmm. there. If there's more houses than people, that's kind of a game of a hot potato. I don't want to be left <laughs> in the bag.
1: Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. I think that makes sense. So let's just go review the five. Five factors, not in the order of priority, affordability index, population growth, economic growth, desirability, and um, healthy supply and demand. Are these the five?
0: That's it. Those are the five. Those are the ones we look for. That is my litmus test. That's what I look for. If you can get four of the five, you can do okay. If you do five of the five, you have some very good odds of of both appreciation and of rental growth.
1: Got it. So now, now let's talk about your portfolio, Jim. When we talk about investors investing in built to rent communities, what does it really mean? Help us understand that and why new versus why old? Give us your thesis behind it because I know that's driving your business.
0: Yeah. So when people think of build to rent and again, this term didn't even exist 10 years ago, a lot of it has been captured by some of the larger hedge funds and institutions, which we've built projects for. But what people picture is you're building an entire community. Right. You're starting from scratch. You're building an entire community of rental homes. We do do some of those. But I have to tell you, Southern Impression Homes, we came from a, you know, it was called Buy Investors for Investors. You know, as old school investors, what were we always looking for? We were looking for that fixer up or undervalued to fix up and rent out, right? But we were also taught that, hey, some of the best houses where you want to go for easier to rent and to manage and for better growth potential, were those properties priced around the median, that were in neighborhoods that had a good mixture of homeowners and renters. Because if you go to an area that's all investor owned with no pride of ownership, we are tougher to manage, Tougher areas, worse resaleability, lower rents. So we're always taught, Hey, why don't you go to areas that have already great pride of ownership, you know, a good at least fifty fifty ratio, maybe better, of existing homeowners and So what we do, Socket, is not only take a piece of land and develop the whole thing and build, if that's what our client wants, we buy a lot of individual lots in existing neighborhoods. So we'll go into a neighborhood, and if there's 250 lots in this certain few square mileage range, we'll buy them all. We'll put in single families or duplexes in the existing neighborhoods. These are the type of neighborhoods you and I would have no problem walking down the street 9 o'clock at night on a Saturday. That's kind of something that we look for, okay. and so even though it's not, it's one. It's not just this completely new neighborhood. It's nice properties and already strong existing neighborhood at that median value. They rent really well, and they have great resilience. If there's a sideways market, and they have great appreciation in that market,
1: love that, love that, Jim. So I think where you're, where you're basically taking a lot of the fear away from people, right? Because I think part of the problem with the real estate investment is they're going to find deals in crappy neighborhoods where. If you, if you go to collect the rent, you may not come back. And you don't want to, I think most people are basically afraid of that piece. So what you have found, you've tried to solve that problem for people. And then the second problem that, as a, as a real estate investor that people have is, hey, I don't know how to lift a hammer, right? I can't rehab. Um, so they're yeah. then turning into the, uh, into the turnkey management companies, which are great. Now, there's, there's several of them. But the problem is it's an older home, right? So no matter how much work they have done, there's still going to be issues in the property. So uh, buying a new property with someone like you, there's definitely an advantage because now what you're saying is it's a newer property. Less things will go wrong. And also the newer property is going to attract a different kind of tenant, um, which are going to be less problematic to begin with. And they'll have, they'll be, they'll have a prior of living there as well. They want to maintain it. What's the flip side of going new? Is it less cash flow? Is it higher, higher price point? What's the, because nothing in the world comes without a catch, So, what's the flip side?
0: The flip side would be a more expensive buy in price. And a lot of people are like, well, no, I can buy two of these older properties opposed to one of your new construction, let's say. And the cash flow is showing higher on these older properties than yours. Yeah. So that's the catch. However, when you really look under the hood, and again, I've done thousands of old rehabs and thousands of new construction. What I've found is my personal motto right now, Sackett, for when people say, what advice would you give your family if they were coming to you to get into real estate? You know, you've owned all these properties. My goal now is to own less of better quality with less leverage. That's my whole goal. Yeah. At the stage I am in my life, enjoying my family life. I have five kids. I want to be with them. I, I used to have way more properties, way more. But now the properties I have are of better quality- Better, better areas, much, much less leverage. I mean, my whole portfolio is probably about 24% LTV, which people go, oh, that's too conservative. But I have more equity and more cash flow than I ever have in my 24 years. Right. And that's what I see the, the new construction do. Yes, there are look, I owned a lot of old properties, the cheaper ones, there can be a great way to get, but what you have to be careful for is the performance don't always, people are honest about it, but you just don't know the surprises. And when the surprises come with the older properties, there's more turnover and there's more maintenance and repairs. And in those first few years of seeding your portfolio of getting the wind at your back or the attempt to, you know, if if you have long vacancies and extra repairs, you weren't prepared for That's where I see new investors really get, you know, a knife to the back and they just yeah. can't take it and they sell out a loss and they never do it again. So I have always said own less of better quality. And again, if we're looking long-term, That's why I don't do rehabs anymore. It's very, very rare if I'll rehab a property and we certainly don't offer them to our clients anymore because our job is to take risk off the table. And one of the best ways with that is we need to get this thing seated and going in the right direction for at least the first three years. Well, with new construction... Tenants stay longer, so our average is like two and a half years, at least, if not higher, right now. So we're keeping that tenant for longer than, let's say, the older properties. Uh, we're also not seeing a lot of maintenance and repairs. We have a special, you know, state-mandated two-ten warranty: two years on the small stuff, ten years on the big stuff, and that gives time for this property to really seed, take hold, and then within a few years. What we were promised in lower cash flow compared to maybe an old property, I saw that the growth started to happen with the rental increase and value increase yeah. with a lot of pain and effort. Uh, and I'm all about less pain and effort for our people. A lot of them are working really hard in their career. They don't want that second or third job or involvement. They just want to have something planted in real estate that can grow without a ton of involvement with them.
1: Correct. Now I, I love that, Jim, and thank you for saying that. And, Jim, I know you have uh, one of the bigger concerns that people have right now is the interest rate, right, 8, 10, depending on what you're buying what, how much leverage you're putting into it. I know you have special programming and special financing structures as well. Could you talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah. Well, we're always trying to solve problems. This is our job, whether it's what, who's the invest insurance, you know, where are the best areas to build in? That's our job as, you know, full service, build to rent company. And one of the biggest concerns, obviously, in the last year was interest rates. You know, since June of 2022, we just saw this incredible upclimb. That hasn't been seen in 23 years. So we're at a 23-year high now. So in order to help our investors get the fundamentals they look for, great properties, good areas with cash flow right off the bat, today's interest rates wouldn't work. So lucky we have a very healthy balance sheet. And we've been able to go to a few mortgages and pre-buy mortgages with them at a much lower rate than published to the to the public. You know, right now, if you walked in to get a duplex, let's say, in an average mortgage company, you're going to get quoted probably eight and a half percent. Yeah. Which is, you know, my first property was 9.15%. I remember when I started twenty-five wow. years ago. So I'm higher rates. Yeah, it worked, though. And, you know, today, people are like, wow, that's crazy high because of how low it's been. So but we had to change that. And right now, you know, we can lock people in in the mid fives. So three points below what the average is. So that's what our in-house financing does. You don't have to use it. You can use whoever you want. But again, people are saying, what can we do to get lower rates? So we've taken that kind of effort into our own hands. And now using this, we've been helping getting people into positive cash flow right away where other people cannot.
1: Now, Jim, there is, you know, I'm I'm, of course, you know, the real estate guys tribe. So uh, George Gammon is pretty close to the real estate guys as well. And he just did an episode where he was basically saying that builders are pre-paying interest and it's essentially same as reducing the pricing. So help us understand that. I think you guys are not playing that game. It seems like you were able to negotiate a better rate instead of prepaying the interest, and it's as if the property is at a lower price, but at an eight percent interest rate. Because there's only yeah. Two. How do how do you guys do that? How does that well, justify? The
0: mortgage is we have to we have to pay price point. We need to pay for that up front. Got so it. they make us pay for that. Someone's got to take the risk for the banks. So we're yeah. taking that risk. And for us, that means we're taking a smaller margin. Where people are like, Correct. well, Correct. you keep dropping the price where you were in. People have said to us, are you inflating the price to pay mm-hmm. the bank? And I say to say, if we inflated the price, especially on one of our quads, to cover this money, the property would not have. Yeah. Well, no, it wouldn't have. We've ne- yeah. We don't have appraisal issues. We have not had appraisal issues. So our company, again, we're very lucky with our, you know, longstanding parent partner now, Sumitomo. They're very patient. They have a 300 plus year old company. They said, let's keep things moving. We have over 5,000 lots in Florida. We will take a lower profit margin through these times so that's the benefit to our clients where we have the holding power to do that you know and again people have said well are you inflating the price i said it will not appraise because again these are new construction priced at current so we just have to take less margin
1: well jim we can talk at length and i love what you guys are doing of course i'm a big fan of chris and you and of Southern impression home so this is this that's the reason i wanted to bring you guys on So I appreciate that. If somebody wants to get in touch with you, Jim, what's the way for uh, people to reach out? Yeah, they can go to
0: southernimpressionhomes.com or if they want to learn more about kind of our principal fundamentals, you can go to the jjplaybook.com. That's kind of an education update of, of my journey in real estate, the fundamentals we've found with Bill Durant. It's something my wife and I designed basically, you know, how Bill Durant really was the key for us to finally in our real estate efforts to buy back our time and have that great family life. So that might be something of a starting point. If you want to learn the fundamentals of Build a Rent and our journey, it's helped a lot of investors get started.
1: Awesome. Well, Jim, thank you again for your time, buddy. This is this is great. I have a feeling this is one of many episodes we'll do together. So appreciate your time. And for, the listeners, uh, for the listeners who are tuned in, thank you again for jumping in and staying through the entire episode. I know these 30, 40 minutes are very valuable. So we want to hopefully add a lot of value to you and provide you some actionable insights. I mean, Southern Impressions are great. Um, and, and what I'll do is we're also working at some some packages together to put with Jim. So as we publish this episode, hopefully all that structures are in place and we'll see what, you, what, what we can bring to you in a favorable term. But uh, until then, thank you again for tuning in. Jim, thank you for joining. We appreciate everyone. Thank you. Thank you. If you got value from this episode, you
0: might consider sharing this content with a friend. But most importantly, be sure to take action
1: on what you've learned. One way you can take the next step is to connect directly with Socket on an investor call. That link is waiting for you in the show notes below.